We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, silent conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about we go way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia and Tennessee, and even Mississippi thrown in just for good measure. Um, by the way, our new texter, Anita, is from uh, South Huntsville. So, Anita, thank you very much. We're glad you're out there. I had a text. Where did it go? Uh, was it, it was Anita. I think it was Anita. She, <laughs> she says, don't slander Dan Satterfield. He's the undisputed Huntsville weather King. I am, I am, I am making no judgments regarding anyone who predicts and or prognosticates the weather. Uh, I will just say that, uh, having spent 30 years in Northeast Alabama, which is considered part of the Birmingham market when it comes to TV, that James Spann and his suspenders and rolled up sleeves have long been the standard by which we have uh, measured the weather and its severity. So uh, anyway, nothing against Dan Satterfield. He's a good one. Uh, I just I just know James Spann. Um, James, by the way, James Spann's kind of like insurance. You know, you want to know you got him. You don't want to ever have to use him. Just saying, you know. You drive comfortably knowing you have auto insurance, but you never want to have to use it. So everybody knows that James Spann wears suspenders. Nobody wants to see his suspenders because that means bad things are coming. Um, and uh, uh, Dustin from Hazel Green says, uh, uh, yeah, he points out the one time when Dan Satterfield was talking about it's on top of us. That's, 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 that's an epic moment in weather. I remember the days of Bob Barron. Uh, Bob Barron, who I think is still very active uh, uh, in, um, uh, you know, the the, the weather industry. Um, but Bob Barron was uh, on, was it, I think it was Channel 31 for years when I was growing up in Huntsville. Um, so anyway, uh, oh, and now we're getting everybody's favorite weather guy, uh, Boomer. So uh, Alex from uh, Elkmont says, Brad Travis isn't that bad either. Okay. <laughs> Good enough, man. I'm glad. Um Okay. Hey, listen, we're going to we're going to spend some time talking legal eagles. So uh, lawyer Phil here. Uh, Yes, indeed. I actually am a licensed attorney uh, practicing in the state of Alabama. Um, Here's here's the thing I want you guys to to recognize. We get so caught up sometimes talking about Congress and what are they doing and what's the governor up to and who's going to be our U.S. senator? Well, the executive and legislative branches of both the state and federal governments, they're only part of it. And in my opinion, we have become, we conservatives, we have become so much more adept at navigating through public interest legal action. And when I, when I call it, there's a term there, public interest law firms. Uh, for years, we've known about the, like the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center and those liberal bastions of, of legal work that try to go in there and muck everything up. And they'll, they'll literally, if there was a conservative bill in Montgomery that we passed and passed, passed proudly, we could almost expect that the lawsuit was drafted before the final vote was counted uh, by somebody like the Southern Poverty Law Center suing the state of Alabama to stop it. The interesting thing is, in probably the last, well, really, 20 years, but but especially the last 10 years, the conservative movement has become far more adept at taking the fight to liberals on the same field of battle in the judicial branch of government. The court system is really a lot of times where it comes down. I mean, look at Roe v. Wade. So the issue of abortion was less a legislative matter. It was less an executive branch matter. It was It was pretty much governed by a judicial decision. And it's been undone by a judicial decision in the Dobbs case last year. So 
what I'm what I'm suggesting to you today is if you're especially if you have an interest in the law, there are ways to practice law and there are ways to uh, pursue the law through institutes and organizations that are designed to do this from a conservative bent. It doesn't mean they don't follow the law or they try to skew it in their direction. No, they just know that the fight is just as much one for conservatives as it is for liberals. And they're not going to sit idly by and, and just watch as liberals constantly seem to get their way. In fact, I would dare, dare say this. The Trump administration did more for the court system for conservatives than any administration in modern history. More federal district court appointees and, of course, the makeup now of the Supreme Court of the United States. Had it not been for Trump's nominations and appointees and the confirmations that resulted therefrom, had it not been for those, we would still be looking at Roe v. Wade being the law of the land. Just ponder that for a minute. We're seeing any number of decisions that are happening now that, that relate directly to what conservatives care about that would not be available to us had it not been for recent appointments or confirmations. I will say this, while I get aggravated at Mitch McConnell, and I do, and rightfully so, I believe, that if I had to give him kudos for anything, it's been that he helped spearhead the confirmations of those, um, those appointments to the bench. And, and he helped get it done. It got him through. And we now have a far more conservative makeup in the federal court system than we ever would have to include all the way up to the Supreme Court. All right. Here's the other thing I want you to kind of gather. I've heard it said in legal, in legal you know, surroundings, uh, as I practice law over the, over the last 20 years, that, that the most powerful person in the nation is not the president of the United States. It's not. The most powerful person in the nation is a federal district court judge. What? Yes. A federal district court judge, which is the lowest level of the federal courts. You have the federal district courts, then you have the appellate courts, then you have the Supreme Court. So the federal district court judge, the, the old saying is, is the most powerful person in America because that's the only person that can actually tell the president of the United States what to do. Tell him. Even rebuke him. Everything that happens above that federal district court judge is just an appeal of what he or she did. Interesting. So the federal district court judge is the most powerful person in America. And, oh, by the way, the federal district court judge is appointed for what they call life or good cause, meaning they're not there for a term. They don't have to run for reelection. They are nominated to the bench, confirmed by the, uh, the Senate, and once confirmed, they are there for life or good cause, which basically means they can stay there as long as they want to unless they really, really screw up. So, I mean, if, if they commit a crime or someone finds out they did something unethical or they took a bribe, you can get rid of them. But beyond that, they're there for life or good cause. And, and the, the fact is they have an incredibly important position and that everything that happens above them is just an appeal of what they decided. So that's why it's so important that we conservatives are duking it out, not just on what a good bill in Congress will do or what are we going to do about that budget or can we get a gender you know, reform law passed or what's going to happen with education or why are we mad at Biden? We better be just as concerned about that third and co-equal branch of government, the court system, because the things that happen in that court system, and right now we're seeing it, man, Second Amendment issues, 
freedom of speech issues, uh, the abortion issue, all these things that impact our daily lives go to the court system. Well, so here, here's one right now, by the way, that's, that's underway as we speak. Freebeacon.com has an article that came out yesterday. It says Biden judicial nominee is on the ropes. So here's the thing. This is one of those federal district court judge appointees. Joe Biden has, uh, you know, nominated him. Go figure. I, I even wonder, you know, when I see stuff like this, does Biden even know who's on the list? I, I, I just question. It matters who's appointed. So in this case, the liberal president gets an opportunity to appoint people that is going to, you know, be of a certain bent, I guess. The guy's name is Michael Delaney. Uh, he's from Minnesota. Minnesota, which is becoming quickly the most liberal state in the nation, um, is now facing issues as his questioning from Republican senators has brought out the fact that when he was a um, an attorney, that he tried to uncover and make known the names of sexual assault victims. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. You were making money off the exploitation of sexual assault victims in order to protect your client's interests, which just seems really, you know, off and hard hand, hard, 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 uh, heavy handed. So what's happened now, though, is the Democrats are going to turn against him. Even even Dianne Feinstein's office, which I question whether Dianne Feinstein really knows she has an office now. But Dianne Feinstein uh, issued a questionnaire to him, which is very uncommon for members of the party of the nominating president to try and make it harder for the nominee to get appointed. Well, 42 pages worth of responses later, he had to admit, yes, he did indeed um, try to out the name of the sexual assault victim in a case and... We'll see what happens. But that's the kind of thing that – so when you get these confirmation processes underway, that's the kind of thing that happens. Is the, the Hopefully the real past comes out. Not the Brett Kavanaugh fake past, but the real past. And you begin to find out, oh, this person, in this case, this person who, you know, kind of ran roughshod over a sexual assault victim – now wants to sit in one of the most powerful positions in the entire United States as a federal district court judge. Interesting. That's why conservatives have to be on their toes. We cannot ever allow, again, the, the, the blank check for a Democrat administration just to appoint whoever they want. Oh, we're not. It's his right, you know, he gets to appoint whoever he wants. He can appoint, but we have to confirm. And if we have control of the Senate or the ability to block a bad pass, a bad confirmation, we have to do it. Because the court system matters. Not just lawyer Phil talking. How about conservative Phil talking? How about right side ruffian Phil talking? We got to have a court system that we know will uphold the values, the standards, the Constitution that the legal framework of this nation should allow to be upheld. All right, Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do that. We're going to come back and sort of spend a little more time on this. And then top of the hour, 15 minutes from now, Matt Clark from the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty is going to call in with some updates on several cases, things he's been working and some that he's been tracking. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Boomer, I did not realize to the extent that people love their weatherman. I mean, the text lines are just blown up with people talking about their weatherman. Yeah, and like uh, Dustin from Hazel Green. And by the way, he has a great idea. In fact, James Spann, I've actually thought about reaching out to him and doing a segment um, uh, with him on the show sometime because he's an interesting dude in general, and he actually used to um, – own uh, a Christian radio program. Uh, so so maybe we'll reach out to James Spann sometime soon, see what happens. Um, and then uh, d- what else we got on here? John from Huntsville says, 13 years ago, I was a student in Dan Satterfield's environmental sciences class at Calhoun Community College. Um, and then he, he talks about another guy that he, he's, he's known. Um, Dustin from Hazel Green says, I also got to mention the guy named Gary England. Okay, there's Gary England. And there's another one, Dan Satterfield, Bob Barron. I mentioned Bob Barron as somebody said, um, Bob Barron, what a flash. There's Jeremy Munchel says, Bob Barron, talk about a blast from the past. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> JT from Lacey Springs says, HD Bagley from Channel 19. Um, all right, all you weather people, shout out to you. Uh, James Spann, he says, is the king of weather. It's Tyler Munchel. He will tell George to get grandma to the shelter because he lives. <laughs> yes, he will. In fact, uh, this is a thing. James Spann was actually on the air when a tornado hit his house in the last couple of years. Boom. Oh, he was. I actually, my mom sent me a, a thing of that when yeah. I was up in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, wow, he's on the air and he knows that's his neighborhood. Oh, that's he's he, like he, he called, I think, on, on air. I think he did. I think mm-hmm. he told his wife to get in the basement or something like that. Yeah, man. Um, that's 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 pretty legit weather guy right there. Um, Brian from Huntsville. Uh, Gary Dobbs, he says. OK. All right. Stephen from Gunnersville says, uh, FYI, Bob Barron has two different weather apps that work wonderful. And he does. That's why I'm saying I think Bob Barron is still very involved in weather. I have a nephew, by the way. Uh, my, so shout out to, uh, to uh, my nephew, Taylor. Uh, Taylor has been a weather guy since he was a kid. Like, it was, it was crazy. Like, so I remember when he would be three years old, whereas some kids would want to watch, you know, Paw Patrol or something. He would sit and watch the Weather Channel. Fascinated by it. To this day. Uh, he's he works in the weather industry now. He may even be working for Bob Barron now that I said that. Um, but anyway, there's there's that. Uh, and I've got something here from a fellow soft dude named Bill from North Alabama. It says uh, with regards to legals, get me back on topic here, brother. Uh, how would you address the current trend of federal, state agencies, and other entities that seem to be completely disregarding court rulings with regards to policies, regulations, and procedures, and what enforcement authority do the courts really have? Okay, great question. So here's why the courts are so important. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate your service, by the way, fellow soft dude. Um, But the the reality is is this. There will be times the executive steps out of line and the courts have to put them back. It's it's whole checks and balances. It's a checks and and our system was set up. the, the, The founding fathers were genius. So our system was set up to have checks and balances. The executive branch can pass the laws. The ex- I mean, excuse me, excuse me. The the, the exec, thank Phil. The the legislative branch passes the laws. The executive branch is there to enforce and implement the laws, and the judicial branch is the checks and balances that decides whether or not those laws can or cannot a survive or b whether they're being enforced correctly. So that being said, your question, uh, Bill, if I understand it correctly, classic example of what you're talking about, the vaccine mandates. President Biden stood at the podium, I'll never forget this, and said, well, my advisors have told me that this will probably not withstand some kind of constitutional scrutiny, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Okay. Guess what? It didn't survive. 
because the courts had to intervene. Now, the courts do not take unilateral action. It requires somebody withstanding and actual damages or potential for damages to file suit and to get it through the court system to an appellate level that locks it in. Now, you can have a decision at the federal district court level, and it does not become necessarily controlling, if you will. That's, that's the word we use, controlling. It doesn't become a controlling precedent yet. It only becomes controlling when it has survived at the appellate level. And then it maintains that controlling status until it is either reversed and, or, or at the very least abrogated. Um, so all that to say, uh, to answer your question, Bill, yes, the court system cannot take unilateral action, but when given the opportunity, it will review and decide as to whether or not the laws or the actions or the executive orders or whatever, whether they are appropriate under the law of the land at the time. And the law that is immutable of the land at the time is always the Constitution. So if you have a constitutional question, well, there's a scrutiny level that, that has to be brought to bear on that. Because a constitutional question is the ultimate authority. You might have something that's not of a gray area. Economic development. Can you spend that money? Mm, we got to look at this and see. But if it's a First Amendment issue or a Second Amendment issue, uh, something to do with freedom of religion, like the vaccine mandates violating the, 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 the freedom of religion of certain people who asked for a religious accommodation. Those things matter. Well, there's a case that came out. Um, I've, I got an article here from Newsweek uh, dated yesterday. It says the Supreme Court surprise ruling that went unnoticed. And it's, it's a case that I don't know that I care about per se. It's, it's a case in which it was decided just this past week on a 5-4 decision involving, it says, a Romanian-American dual citizen who failed to report millions of dollars in foreign bank accounts. The question before the court was, did he violate the Bank Secrecy Acts by failing to disclose? Well, the bottom line was they ruled in favor of the taxpayer, but here's the, th here's the thing. Here's what matters. They ruled in favor of the taxpayer but the, the justices did not align as conservative and liberal. On one side of the decision was Neil Gorsuch, Samuel Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, John Roberts, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson together. And on the other side was Clarence Thomas, Amy Coney Barrett, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. Really? So what you've got here, here's my point. The judicial branch still works. In, in the year, which year was this? In 2020, there was 46% uh, of the cases were actually unanimous decisions, meaning the liberal and conservative justices both agreed. Um, there were 30% in 2019. Uh, last year, it was one of the lower, because I, I think this is the decision they were having to deal with. But all I'm saying is this. The court system, in my opinion, it still works. When you can have half the decisions are unanimous and a bunch of them come out with liberal and conservative justices agreeing with each other in their positions, that means the law is still the law, and the law is, for the most part, blindfold and is seeing things across the board. All right, we're going to come right back, talk to Matt Clark from the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty, get his perspective on things that are happening in the legal world and find out what's up. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.